it's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get right through now, it. the COVID-19 vaccine are available to millions of Americans and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people, and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Armchair politics is going to hell. Hell, Michigan, that is, and you are invited. On October 27th, Wednesday before Halloween, Armchair Politics will be broadcasting live from 9 a.m. to noon from the Hell Saloon in Hell, Michigan, near Pinckney. This will be our first in-person meeting of the Tom Sumner Program's weekly roundtable armchair politics since the beginning of the pandemic. Join me and roundtable regulars Flint's premier political pundit Paul Rosicki on the left and longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter on the right, plus more on Wednesday, October 27, 2021, starting at 9 a.m. at the Hell Saloon. Armchair politics is going to hell, and you can too. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. It's Wednesday, which means Armchair Politics is coming up in uh, just a uh, a little bit um, with uh, our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Mark Everson this week for two hours of commentary and analysis about local, state, and national headlines in politics and current events. 
and um, we're I'm not I'm not sure exactly what I want to do right now which by the way is my way of saying welcome to live radio folks I have um, scheduled an interview with somebody from Dubai and having a little trouble making the phone connection and if I have to I'll uh, I'll move to another uh, well I guess I guess I'll just go ahead and do that we'll have uh, uh, tell you what we'll we'll go with an interview I did earlier this week with the uh, audiobook narrator of Dune Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program, and my guest this hour is one of the original narrators of the Dune audiobook and over 25 other books in the Dune world. Um, if you're, uh, you don't even have to be a sci-fi fan to have heard of Dune. But uh, my guest is Scott Brick, and he joins me by phone. Hi, Scott. Welcome to the show. Tom, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm, I'm grateful that you're having me. Thank you so much. Um, I'm a little confused. I was reading something in a press release about the uh, um, about the book that you've just read, Dune, and there's um, soon to be a major motion picture coming out August uh, or October twenty second, or is that October? Yeah, it's right around that time, twenty second, twenty third, something like that. Um, hasn't Dune been a major motion picture already? <laughs> um, well, yes. <laughs> or has it been long? Well, it, and but what I, the reason I wanted to bring that up, Scott, is because I wanted to ask you: Is this an all-new story, or is it a updated, remade version of the original? It is, um, and I say this as a huge fan of David Lynch, the director of the original series, the original. Um, Adaptation. I want to say it was in Christmas of 1984. Um, um, it wasn't the most faithful adaptation. Let's just leave it at that. I loved it. I was a kid. I was just out. Of, I was in college at the time, and I'd been a fan for you know for years. And so it was thrilling getting to see it up on the big screen. But it wasn't what Frank Herbert intended. So uh, 20 years go by. They remade it again for uh, the Sci-Fi Channel. Um, as a as a TV miniseries, um, this is the first time that a studio has truly sunk all of its time and energies and its best available talent. Uh, and I say that to I, I don't mean to impugn anybody who appeared in the first film because they had an amazing cast um, and director. But this is the first time they've given enough time to the story because the thing about Dune is it's so rich. It's so deeply textured. There's so many layers to it. You talk about, you know, peeling an onion away to get to the, you know, the heart at the center. Um, Denis Villeneuve, the uh, the director of this film, um, you know, they're they they're going back to the uh, uh, the the formula that worked in the 1970s on films like The Godfather or The Three Musketeers. Frankly. Um, the Godfather, the first film, was only the first half of the book by Mario Puzel. And Godfather Part Two was the second half. Okay, great. That's enough time. And that was about five hours for those two films, maybe six hours for those two films. 
that's enough time to tell enough of the story. They did the same thing with the Three Musketeers. They split it up into the Three Musketeers and the Four Musketeers. First half of the book, second half of the book. And that's that's their formula with this current film. And um, we're going to be, my girlfriend and I, we're going to be able to uh, watch it in just a handful of days. And uh, we cannot wait. Um, I feel like I've been waiting my entire life for this. Oh, that's amazing. Um, it's, you know, I was I was reading about you, and it said, it, it, what I was reading referred to you as one of the narrators of the original Dune. Uh-huh. Um, how, I, I got the impression that you were always the narrator for Dune books. I started narrating Dune audiobooks in 2001 or maybe okay. 2002. Um, it's been about 20 years now, so uh, my memory is a little hazy. Um, I got brought on at a time when they were recording, um, writing and recording prequels, books that were set before the story that we're going to see on the big screen. And so I got brought on to do a book called Dune, the Butlerian Jihad, which was set thousands of years in the past of the story that everybody's about to see unfold on major motion picture screens across the country. And um, they said, when you record this, we would also like you to go back and do the original Dune by Frank Herbert, um, the one that came out, gosh, I want to say 65, 66 now, um, just right around the time I was born, which is really crazy. Um, uh and I said, and and I have no idea what led me to do this, uh, because I was brand new. I hadn't been narrating books for more than two years. I'm, you know, wet behind the ears, breath smelling like Similac. You know, I'm like, I've, <laughs> I've, you know, I got I got no standing in the industry. But I told them these books really matter to me, and I don't want to work on them unless I can do them correctly. And um, uh, all of the pronunciations of all of these words have always been one of the biggest issues in bringing Dune to life. You know, is it, uh, is it, which begs you know, the, the, the question, the main, how do you say Paul's last name? Atreides. <laughs> Atre- Paul Atreides. Uh, he, he is descended from the Greek house of Atreus, uh, which was King Agamemnon back, going back to Greek mythology. He was part of the house of Atreus. So Frank Herbert had this wonderful idea that what if you had this nobleman in the future who was descended from a nobleman in the past, one of our oldest, oldest heroic uh, noble lines. And, um, you know, that's the way that Frank thought. And, uh, you know, uh, so he, he, he went to a great deal of effort to translate things from our current era into the future era. So questions like, you know, for the for the enemy, for the uh, the enemy of the house of Atreus, the house of Atreides, in this film, um, their last name is Harkonnen, but David Lynch got it wrong and said Harkonnen, and ever since then, fans have have gotten it wrong too. They take their cue from a, you know, less than stellar um, um, adaptation. Um, I just wanted to make sure that everything I was doing was the way Frank would have wanted it. And so they, the publisher put me in touch with the family and um, 
Brian Herbert, who's since become a, a very dear friend of mine. He's Frank's son, and um, he has been the steward of the Dune franchise ever since. I, I'm glad you and, mentioned that, um, Scott, because, y- you know, a moment ago you mentioned, you know, kind of the, the time paradox of you being the one to narrate the original story, sure. which came out about the time you were born. But then, you know, right away I thought, well, wait a minute, Frank Herbert died in 1986. How do these mm-hmm. stories keep happening? Well, when he passed away, uh, the last Dune novel that he wrote was the sixth in the franchise, and it was called Chapter House Dune. And he had envisioned uh, the, the book previous to that and then Chapter House, he had envisioned those as being essentially a trilogy. Um, so he wrote, you know, book four, no, pardon me, no, book five was book one of a Dune trilogy. Book six was book two of a Dune trilogy. And then he was planning on picking it up with Dune seven. And he passed away. And so book six ended on a cliffhanger. And thankfully, you know, Frank had just begun. Uh, <laughs> he was uh, he was actually an early adapter. He he had gotten these uh, uh, you know word processing uh, uh, machines. I think is they, what they were called at the time. Basically, you know, <laughs> uh, fancy typewriters. Um, but they kept a digital copy, and he there were all of these floppy disks that had very detailed notes for where Dune 7 was going to go. It took years for Brian Herbert to find these because of, um, you know, issues with the estate. Um, Frank had been married more than once, um, you know, who had rights, who had access, yada, yada, yada. We've all been there. Um, If not, I think we all understand at least. Um, And uh, when... Brian finally, when he found well, these, Scott, for the purpose of this conversation, we've all been there. <laughs> of course, yes, <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, when when the dust settled, uh, Brian found himself in possession of these floppy disks uh, that his father had filled, you know, ten years before. And he and his writing partner, Kevin J. Anderson, um, they said, you know, the hands shaking when they realized what was in their palms. They said. This is Dune 7. This is how Frank wanted to end that trilogy. And they began talking. Um, Should we just go ahead and write it? And they thought, no, fans need to trust us. We can't just leap in. And so they wrote five or six, I believe it was six prequels, two trilogies that would kind of establish more information about the Dune universe. Um, one prequel was set in you know just a few years before the events of Dune, what we're going to see in the film. Another one was set thousands of years before that. Um, they understood that the fans really needed to understand how we arrived at the world of Dune. So once they had done that, once they had laid that groundwork, they said, okay, it's time. And they wrote no Dune 7, there, which actually became 7 and 8. so much there. Um, they split it into two volumes. And they finished Frank's work. More with audiobook narrator from Dune and many other titles. 
Scott I'm Julie Britt, Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all always. It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a kind and check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org.
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with audiobook narrator from Dune and many other titles, Scott Brick, straight ahead. That's such an incredible story, and the only thing I can remember that's even even close was uh, I talked to a, a writer a couple of years ago who had been asked by like the Mark Twain Library or something to complete mm-hmm. some notes that Mark Twain had done on a children's story. Ooh, no a, pressure there. A, a story he used to tell his kids, and they, they had some notes and stuff. And so this guy got to actually collaborate with, in you know, <laughs> a stretch of oh, the wow. imagination, with Mark Twain and write a Mark Twain story. And I heard something similar. And it sounds a little bit like, like what's going on in the wake of, of Frank um, Herbert's yeah. death. And, and, of course, we've seen the same thing with the Star Trek franchise. Of course. And uh, 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 Charles Dickens, his grandchildren uh, published something, I want to say, in the 1930s, uh, a Christmas story that he used to tell them, a Christmas story based on actual, you know, the birth of Christ uh, rather than a Christmas carol. It was something that he shared with his children and grandchildren every year, and they they published it, you know, easily 60, lo- 70 love, years after his death. I love the story of of how reluctantly um, Dickens wrote A Christmas Carol. <laughs> well, uh, you know, there's there's uh, uh, there's there's a bit of uh, uh, you know disagreement. Um, he. In, in many ways, he was uh, uh, quite eager to write it because, for the first time, he was writing it for himself rather than through a publisher. And he was he was hoping it would be a money maker for him, but alas, it got uh, plagiarized so much that well, he, I, he I made guess very, saying very little money off of it. I, I guess saying how uh, reluctantly was was the wrong choice of words. He, it was it was more of an act of desperation. The way I heard about well, it. well, yes, in because many ways, because he needed the money. Yes, he did, and this was this was actually the first time that he had been uh, released from the constraints of you know getting paid by the word, and uh, you'll notice it's actually his shortest book. <laughs> he was he was he was hoping to make money without putting in all of the extra you know uh, um, you know there's a reason why all of the other books are so long. He was getting paid by the word, so um, um, yeah, the uh, the man who invented Christmas is a marvelous book and a film, a very charming film, um, wonderful story. And, and yes, uh, uh, to bring it back to Frank Herbert, it's, it's marvelous getting to see his world and hear his words long after he's gone. I never had the pleasure to meet him. I was in college when he passed. Hmm. But um, through Brian's work with Kevin, I feel as though I'm getting to know him. And actually, if I may, uh, just a shameless plug, um, uh, Brian Herbert wrote a wonderful, loving, lovingly written biography of his father called Dreamer of Dune. And um, it was really, it's it's the love story of Frank Herbert and his wife, Beverly. And uh, uh, we just recorded it on audio. And I'm not certain if it will be out in time for the... uh, uh, for the book release, uh, for the film release, but uh, fingers crossed, it will be out very soon thereafter. And uh, 
I, I, I feel like through Brian's work and how much of himself that he's shared, I feel as though I'm getting to, getting to know a man who passed away when I was in college. Dune, really the the whole, the stories of Dune mm-hmm. um, have been referred to as the grandest epic in science fiction. What, Without doubt. What earns it that, that accolade? Well, Dune was the first science fiction saga that, remember, it debuted 10, 12 years before Star Wars. Uh, Star Wars hinted at this idea of a multi-generational tale when we found out who Darth Vader was. But there was this long and involved story that took place before we ever met Luke Skywalker. Well, Dune was the one who began that in in the mid-60s. From the very first paragraph of the very first page of the very first chapter of the very first volume of Dune, you are alerted to the fact that this is a multi-generational tale. And I think people respond to it, even though a lot of them are, are intimidated by it, like, oh, Jesus, sounds like a lot of work i got to put in to find out what's going on here. It's really not. Uh, I think what draws people in is the very same thing. They look at that and see, wow, it's a multi-generational saga. But then again, so are all of us. Every one of our stories. We are all the lead characters in our stories, right? Well, we always and talk we about had stories. Progenitors and yeah, we always talk about stories having a beginning, a middle, and an end. But yeah. they also have befores and afters. Yeah. And Dune is the first one that really embraced that concept and said, uh, "I you look, you know, no spoilers here. I'm not. I'm not going to blame. I'm not going to ruin anything from the film." But when you look at the at the books, the all 20, gosh, I think there's almost 25 volumes now that are prequels and sequels, you know exactly what happens from the moment Paul is born until the moment he dies. Spoiler alert, at some point, as we all do, there will come a time when Paul Atreides is not around anymore, and the saga keeps going. Um, that's something Frank was unafraid of. And I think that that's really kind of what sparked people's interest because they thought, wow, this is kind of fearless. I mean, Alexander Dumas, he wrote, uh, God, he wrote three volumes of the Musketeer saga. The last one, the one that contains the man in the iron mask, that was 3,000 pages long. It in itself, the last volume is broken up into six volumes. So, I mean, this, this is a 30-year story that Dumas told, and it goes from the moment you meet the musketeers until the moment they die. And you, essentially all of them, you see what happens to them. And, and Dumas was unafraid about showing the, the light dimming on a person's life. And similarly, so was, you know, so was Frank. He said there's a, there's a charm in that. There's a, um, I find it delightful knowing how characters and their stories and uh whereas you know previous franchises tried to avoid that i mean we never really saw the end of james bond right you know ian fleming i, I think his publishers certainly would have been smart enough to say hey ixnay ixnay on the death scene we want to keep uh we want to keep writing <laughs> we want to keep writing bestsellers even after you're gone 
Um, Frank said, I don't care. This is how they begin. This is how they end. And I think that's why it's, it's, it's really the grandest of all science fiction sagas, because it's unafraid to let its characters die. Well, That's and Arthur day. Conan Doyle killed off Sherlock yeah. Holmes and then brought him back. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I have to say, so did Frank Herbert. There was a character, and I won't say who, uh, there was a character in an early volume of Dune who didn't make it until the end. And the fans were so upset because they <laughs> loved this character so much that in the next volume, Frank invented uh, a technology. We call it cloning. He calls it uh, creating a Gola, G-H-O-L-A. And I know that because it's in my Dune audio glossary. I had to go over it with Brian Herbert to make sure I got it right. Um, it, is a, it is a clone that wakes up with the memories of its predecessor. And just like that, Frank was able to bring back a beloved character and say, okay, here you go. And he did basically what Arthur Conan Doyle did with Sherlock Holmes. Well, it's funny that um, that you mentioned the uh, the glossary of uh, of yeah. Dune, and and it makes me wonder, Scott, is are there when you have a, a series that has gone on like this for thirty years with twenty five plus sure. books and adaptations, is there a lot of support material that that surrounds this is there a, a dune library somewhere that writers and narrators <laughs> and actors can access well yes there is but only if you have access to my computer um i am <laughs> i am i am currently looking uh, at this very moment i am looking at my excel spreadsheet it's the comprehensive dune glossary and every time i update it i add a new uh, uh, a new update date every time I work on a new volume. Um, what was originally 498 words in the original volume of Dune uh, that Brian Herbert and I, we spent four and a half hours going over all 498 of those words. And we had recordings of his father, Frank, saying a number of these out loud. We used that as a, as a guidepost. Um, uh, every language has its own pronunciation guide right in some languages a j is going to be is going to be a, a j sound j others it's going to be a h sound um others you know it'll be like a y like a y sound like a y sound okay well we understood that frank intended for the inhabitants of dune the planet arrakis to be descended from from um, from Arabs, from Arabic culture. So once we knew that, we just looked at, at uh, Arabic for our pronunciation guide. You know, if a word is pronounced on Arrakis, it will probably follow that it, you know, it follows the Arabic pronunciation guide. If it's from a word from the, uh, 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 a name, a uh, 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 a phrase from the planet Caladan. Well, that's primarily a you know American European um, uh, founded world. There are other worlds that were founded from Germanic cultures and Russians and you know and and whatnot. So we we basically followed those guides. And um, what was 498 words is now I'm looking at it right now. 
1,796 words. Um, <laughs> you know, from Aaliyah to Zum Garen. Um, and it's... Um, I started doing this in 2001 because I thought the fans deserve this. But I say that myself. Um, I am one of them. I am a massive fan. Um, they deserve to make sure that every single time, whether they hire me or not, and thankfully they have hired me on every single one of them, but um, when, when, if somebody came along after me and they came to this phrase, I want to make sure that they understand how to pronounce the Zen Hekiganshu of three Delta Pavonas. God forbid, uh, Hekiganshu, <laughs> Hek you know, Zen uh, know, the fans aren't going to be able to understand that that's what I've been saying for all this time is the Zen Hekiganshu. You know, there has to be a certain amount of consistency that also fits in with what Frank wanted and what now Brian and Kevin are setting down. Um, consistency is key, and uh, um, the fans deserve to get it right. So. One of the things I always wonder about, Scott, with uh, audiobook narrators is, um, you know, it, it, my, my first impression was that these were like radio plays that had a group of actors reading sure. different parts in the book. But usually it's one person reading cover to cover a book, including all the dialogue. How do you how do you do that and and bring those scenes to life, you know, for audio um, compared to the way we would see it in a film or television series or read sure. it in a book? Well, to be honest, what I keep in mind as I'm working on it, um, I, I keep in mind what a huge fan of old time radio I am. Um, you know, your first thought about how these, how these books would get done. You know, it's based on broadcasts from the 1930s, 40s, and 50s, and I have thousands of them. And, you know, the problem is there typically isn't a budget to hire a dozen actors to do a single book. Um, although the, the original six volumes that they did in the Dune saga, um, they did, uh, we did them as, as multi-voice productions. Um, they had me on board to do a number of supporting roles. Um, and then of course, bring in my <laughs> audio glossary, um, as the basis for it, uh, the pronunciation basis for it. Um, but other than those original six, you know, it's, yeah, it's been me. Um, I think you have to remember that between the narrator and the listener, there is an unspoken contract. The listener understands there's one person reading you these things. So when I'm doing a book, the most recent book uh, um, that's uh, just coming out now is called uh, Dune, the Lady of Caladan, uh, which refers to uh, the main character, Paul, to his mother, uh, the Lady Jessica. And when you're a man doing a, a woman's voice, I always tell all of my students, because I teach audiobook narration, I first thing I teach them is that you need to make your peace with the fact that you're not going to sound like the opposite sex. Whether you're a man trying to sound like a woman or a woman trying to sound like a man, you're just not going to. But that's okay, because the listener understands that. They understand that it is a man telling me the story, it is a woman telling me the story. 
And so a woman doesn't need to make her voice like really deep and rough. And, <laughs> and a guy doesn't need to go into a ridiculous falsetto. Um, I heard that one time, uh, um, um, and I, and I said, uh, it was from a student and I said, I get it. I get it. You're trying to, you're trying to sell the fact that you're a woman right now, but let me ask you this. How many women do you know who speak in a falsetto other than Julia Child? Right. <laughs> right, um, right. It's just not authentic. So just focus on what is authentic. I say, focus on what's authentic. Focus on the emotional authenticity of the scene. And whether you sound like a woman or not, it'll be okay. Because that's what the listener is going to focus on them, themselves as, as they're listening. Um, that's basically what I do. And, of course, then you add accents where it's appropriate. And you can, you can add uh, vocal characteristics. You can make certain characters kind of dusty, you know, sound, you know. Uh, you, can, you can let a little bit of air go through. You know, you can sound a little bit softer by just aerating your breath just a little bit like I am now. Or you can make it really gravelly. I mean, you know, whatever it is, you, you have those choices. But if you don't wed those techniques to the truth of the scene, then it's kind of an empty experience. You know, Scott, uh, we've been talking mostly about Dune, and that's because you've been described as an expert in all things Dune because of the amount of um, work you've done with these different uh, audio books. But you've read audio uh, books for others. Um, oh, and, yeah, about, and, and about a thousand thinking, of them. <laughs> well, and, and I'm thinking it must be... You know, after spending so much time in the world of Dune, I would think it'd be a real jump into a completely different universe to do Tom Clancy and Ayn Rand. It is. It is a little <laughs> bit different. I, t I tell you what. I I went. Uh, we recorded the most recent Dune book just a few months ago, The Lady of Caladan, coming soon from Macmillan Audio. And um, the very next book I did was for a different publisher. I, I work on the um, the Jack Reacher series by Lee Child, and, and now his brother Andrew, um, uh, Lee and Andrew Child, and uh, um, and that that was a switch. You know, you're you're going from uh, uh, your your sci-fi voice talking about the Zen Hekiganshu again to just everyday, you know. Um, um, realism, brutal realism. You know, uh, uh, there's a whole lot of uh, fist fights that happen in the world of Jack Reacher, but um, I think the thing that you always, uh, that narrators always have to remember, is no matter what genre you're working in, the characters in those books don't. If you if you treat them as as real people. None of those characters know that they're a character in a science fiction novel or a character in a Jack Reacher novel or a character in a romance. What they know is they are the, they are the lead characters in their own story. And so you just kind of have to wrap your head around like, okay, well, what kind of story am I telling today? And one of the joys for me, because I'm such a huge fan of science fiction, is getting to treat science fiction and all of these crazy things um, and, and the words that we say, the phrases that I get to uh, articulate, all of that, I get to treat it as though it is the most normal thing in the world. <laughs> Somebody one time gave me a, a review for one of the gym books 
and it's my favorite review I've ever gotten on any book. And again, I've done over a thousand of them. They said, Scott Brick sounds like he is a tour guide for the planet Arrakis. Um, the, you know, the world upon which Dune is set. And I thought, and, and I, and I thought about that for a minute and I was like, yeah, because I, I put in a lot of effort to make it sound as normal as I can. Because even though the the story is not normal for us, you know, it's not normal to fly to a, a far flung distant world where there are sandworms and no oceans. And, uh, you know, these sandworms, you know, are basically from them. We, you know, we harvest, uh, uh, the spice melange, which is a, you know, life, uh, um, you know, the, the fountain of youth, essentially. Um, that's not normal, but to the people in the book, it is. And so I have to say it as though it is as normal, as mild as mother's milk, as my grandmother used to say, <laughs> it's just, Hey, what we're doing today. So yeah, that's that. When I, when I go from one genre to another, that's what I try to remind myself. This is just a day's work for the people in this book. Well, Scott, I, I, I'm really thrilled to have uh, met you and had a chance to talk with you a little bit and, and share some of this information. But I feel like we're just scratching the surface in what has <laughs> been 30 years of work and projects for you and many others. Um, let's let's do this as we're almost out of time. Um I always like to give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about and what some resources are to find out about you and your work, past, present, and future. Um, where can people find out more about Dune, and where can people find out more about Scott Brick? Well, it's very kind of you to, uh, to ask, uh, uh, grant me that opportunity. Um, anybody who has any questions about the Dune franchise, should go to dunenovels.com, which is a website that Brian, uh, Brian Herbert, Frank's son, and his writing partner, Kevin Anderson, they curate that site, and it has so much information about every, every iteration of Dune. There's also, of course, Macmillan Audio. Uh, you can find them online, uh, macmillan.com. Um, um, they've also, got, of course, got all of their own uh, uh, um, social media handles. Uh, if anybody who wants to know more about myself, you can find me at scottbrick.net or of course, you know, on social media, I'm at Scott Brick and, uh, I think on Facebook, I'm, um, Scott Brick presents, which is my publishing arm. Um, but, uh, yeah, thank you for, uh, thank you for letting me plug that. I, I appreciate it. Well, Scott, thanks so much for spending this time with me and the listeners, uh, today and keep up the good work. I appreciate it. And you as well, Tom. Thank you so much. Take care. Take care. Again, that was uh, Scott Brick. He is uh, the voice of the Dune audiobooks, as well as many other audiobooks. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. Old-fashioned radio For a new generation TomSumnerProgram.com The TomSumnerProgram.com The TomSumnerProgram.com 
Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination? A COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the back. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. W.H. Weiscarver, a recent guest on the show, has pledged 50% of the proceeds from his book Twilight of Empire from sales between October 1st and October 31st to support the Tom Sumner program. W.H. Weiscarver, a former National Security Advisor and counsel for the U.S. Senate Armed Services Committee, pulls no punches, fusing history with political intrigue in Twilight of Empire, the third of four planned novels in the Resurrection Saga series. W.H. Carver's book, Twilight of Empire, shows that the U.S. has all the wealth, science, and resources to solve every issue we face today. Twilight of Empire by W.H. Carver is available on Amazon and Apple Books. For more information and to support the Tom Sumner program, visit whyscarver.com.
the Tom Sumner Program.com. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Ladies and gentlemen, in Philip Rapp's creation, the Bickersons. <laughs> What's what's the matter? All right, all right. Blanche, Blanche. I'm putting a ribbon in my hair. Where are you going? I'm not going anywhere. I just thought I'd like to look nice this morning. Why? I knew you'd forget. You don't even know what day this is. I do, too. It's rent day. It is not. Today happens to be our wedding anniversary. Well, I knew it was a sad occasion of some kind. <laughs> what kind of a remark is that? That's supposed to be funny. No, it isn't supposed to be funny, Blanche. I'm just groggy, that's all. I'm sorry. I knew you'd forget. I didn't forget it. So why didn't you say something? Blanche, I just opened my eyes. You forgot it. I tell you, I didn't forget it. But even if I did, you'd remind me of it. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. Is that all? No plans? We've been married eight years. Don't you want to do something? No, it's too late to do anything. It's sad about you. How you suffer. I didn't get such a bargain, you know. Okay, okay. There's better fish in the ocean than the one I caught. There's better bait, too. I'm serious. Okay, I'm sorry. You hack away at me in the morning and I'm so exhausted, I don't know what I'm saying. You wouldn't be so exhausted if you went to bed at a reasonable hour. I had to work overtime. Pour me some coffee. Get paid? I'll get paid. What time did you get home? 12.30. If you got home at 12.30, why were you so long getting into bed? I know for a fact you didn't come to bed until almost 2. I was in the kitchen putting the stuff away. What stuff? What's the matter, Blanche? You told me to bring stuff home for the party tonight. You invited a lot of your crumb friends and you told me to bring stuff, so I brought stuff. Did you bring the potatoes for the potatoes? salad. I brought potatoes. Did you pair them? I paired them. All of them? All except one. He had a big knob on top and I couldn't find a mate for him. I meant... I know what you meant, Blanche. I even boiled them last night. Where are my pants? Who stole my pants? Nobody stole your pants. I just looked in the wastebasket and they're not there. My shoes are missing from the sink. Don't be silly, John. Your pants are on a hanger in the closet and your shoes are in the shoe rack. How'd they get there? I put them there. Well, I wish you'd quit throwing my things around like that. (laughs) Gotta get them or I'll be late. You won't be late. Here are your pants. Thanks. Blanche, these aren't my pants. They're not? Then whose pants are they? That's a good question, only I should be asking. Don't be so snobby. They were baggy, so I pressed them. Baggy? Took me an hour to find the right crease. Be careful you don't wrinkle them now. What's the difference? I like my pants to look lived in. You're dragging the tops on the floor. Hold your trouser leg with your left hand, then step in with your right foot. Blanche, I've been putting on my own pants for over 40 years, and I don't need you to be the foreman of it. Which one? It doesn't matter. I want to use it for a belt. My suspenders are broken. Why don't you wear your belt? I'm using it to keep the soles from falling off my shoes. John Fitterson, you know you're just... I know it. I know I haven't got a belt. Where's my shirt? Where did you hide my shirt? I didn't hide it anywhere. Well, where is it? I draped it around the canary's cage so he could sleep. Is my shirt the only rag you could find to cover the bird's cage with? 
hasn't hurt anything, has it? No, but I don't like the way that bird pokes into my pockets. Every time I take a cigarette out, I'm smoking bird seed. Why do you have to cover the cage anyway? The canary is sensitive to light. Well, get him a pair of sunglasses. Leave my shirt alone. No bird's going to sleep later than I do. Ah, shut up. John, why must you be so mean on our anniversary? Blanche, I'm not mean. I'm worried. Business is bad. My job is hanging by a thread. You never should have quit your other job. You made me quit. You said it wasn't dignified selling bowling balls. You were embarrassed to answer when people asked you what your husband sold. Well, it sounded like it was trying to start a fight. That's no problem for you. I gotta go. Here, and don't forget your samples. I won't forget. This darn vacuum cleaner gets heavier every day. Straighten this hose around my neck, will you, Blanche? There, there. Now, got everything? I think so. No, wait a minute. You got any money? Well, there's 50 cents in the sugar bowl. 50 cents? You can bring me the change when you come home. Now listen, Blanche, something's got to be done about this. I can't go down to work like a pauper every day. A man's got to have a couple dollars in his pocket. Now don't yell at me. I don't mind going with torn clothes and holes in my socks, but I'm not going to suffer through those lunches anymore. What's the matter with your lunches? You ought to know. You pack them for me. I'm just getting sick of carrying my lunch to work in a paper sack. Why can't I go to the restaurant like the other fellas? John, what are you talking about? I haven't fixed your lunch for two years. Oh, Blanche, every morning of my life I find my lunch wrapped in brown paper on the side of the sink. John, that's the garbage. Goodbye, Blanche. Goodbye, dear. Happy anniversary. I'm going to. In the jingle jangle morning, 
I'll come following you. Take me on a trip on your magic swirling ship. My senses have been stripped. My hands can't feel to grip. My toes too numb to step. Wait only for my boot heels to be wandering. I'm ready to go anywhere. I'm ready for the fade into my own parade. Cast your dance and spell my way. I promise to go under it. I'm not sleepy and there is no place I'm going to. In the jingle, jangle morning, I'll come following you.
Here.